Hello, so I'm here with Peter Kosmatartos, who is the Chief Executive of Crefsi Europe, which is the body representing lenders in commercial real estate, and Parol Scampion, who is the co-founder of Propio, which is an online investment platform focusing on development and, and residential investment. So, Peter, it's 10 years on since the global financial crisis, and at that point, you were at the BPF, you were advising lots of the large listed real estate companies who were going through a bit of a tough time uh, as a result of some of the shenanigans that have gone. Have we learned anything since then in the last 10 years as the lending business, uh, you know, has it, has, it, has it paid its dues, has it, has it sorted itself out? So it depends how you look at it. I'd say that the, the main thing we need to know about commercial property uh, is that it's, uh, it's a specialist subject, uh, not, not for everyone, um, and that it's highly cyclical. Uh, and the fact that it's highly cyclical means that you need to be careful how you manage leverage as a borrower. And as a lender, it means that uh, it's not a great idea to lend a lot at the top of the cycle. Uh, it's much better to lend little at the top of the cycle and then be in a position to lend... Uh, after a correction. And that's because property values go up the longer you go into the cycle. So if you're taking 50% leverage at the start, that's a relatively low amount of risk, but 50% leverage when the values are much higher is more risk because the values have shot up. Right, exactly. So so looking at kind of nominal LTVs doesn't really tell you much unless you know when you're you're judging them. So so clearly in the, in the last cycle, everyone got this wrong. Uh, the lenders lent a great deal into the peak and were left licking wounds and dealing with horrible legacy books uh, for, for many years uh, after the peak. Um, it's worth noting that it wasn't just lenders who, who arguably went off the rails, it was also their regulators who completely fell asleep at the wheel. Um, so there were a lot of lessons for everyone to learn afterwards. Uh, I think we've made a lot of progress in some ways. I think commercially the pain of the, of the last cycle uh, was so acute that you would expect lenders to take a long time to recover from that and start behaving really uh, recklessly again. Um, and the truth is that many of the regulatory interventions since then, most obviously in the UK, uh, the imposition of a, a, a risk-weighting methodology called slotting on the UK banks. Um, so that's that where they has, have to put cash aside at the same, to the, the it, in line with what they're lending. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it's a particular approach to how they do that, how they measure the risk in their portfolios that requires more capital to be set against most of their property lending, basically. Um, so, so all of that, the regulatory interventions have supported more conservative and cautious behaviour from banks that were already predisposed to be more cautious and conservative because of the commercial pain that they went through in yeah. pretty recent living memory. Yeah. So in a, in a sort of short-term way, I'd say everyone's learned a lot of lessons. Fundamentally, is it going to be the case that in 5, 10, 15 years' time, everyone will really remember all of this pain? Uh, will remember that you know, you've got to really manage the cycle, that commercial property is quite risky and, and, and complicated? Um, probably not. Parol Scampion, so Peter mentioned some of the more conservative attitudes that Lens have taken. They've not had quite as much money to dole about. For, for you in, in this business for, for some time now, how has that affected you? Because it's obviously, on, on one hand, it's been uh, a bad thing because you've had less money to be able to borrow from the banks. But on another level, for, for your new platform, Propio, which is allowing people to invest money and, and then to lend that out, it's been quite a good thing, isn't it? Because there's a bit more, a bit more space in the market. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, 
to answer the original question, I think banks have learned their lessons, but possibly they've overcorrected, in, particularly in terms of more risky activities like development. And so what's happened as a result is there's been a void in the marketplace and you've had a number of uh, challenger banks, bridging the bridging industry and, and more recently crowdfunding platforms coming in to address some of those those needs in the marketplace. And, and Propio have done that. We we come from a background of development, so we understand development risk. And so, you know, it's very much we understand what we're lending against and we want to kind of um, unblock some of those those uh, lending streams that have closed, which have meant that smaller developers haven't been able to build. But, I mean, surely banks are retrenching from lending to development because it's risky. So is it surely not... I mean, it's surely correct, isn't it, that, that banks that essentially could be bailed out by you and me don't go and do loads of risky stuff. I mean, is that, surely that's fair enough, isn't it? Well, I guess there's two points there. That one is um, you're building uh, an asset as you develop. So how risky is development? You're lending against an asset that's going up floor by floor. So you should always have headroom above above you in terms of what you're developing. Um, and be, you know, yes, but uh, finance is a utility and we need to build houses in this country. And so... Yes, there might be risk associated with development, but as long as the reward is appropriate, then it's a good thing. Otherwise, we won't be able to address kind of the acute shortage of housing. I think it's definitely the case that the most useful thing that the property industry does is building new stock for which there's an economic need. That's more important and more valuable than simple transactional activity when existing buildings get traded. That doesn't necessarily generate a great deal of value for the wider economy, but new construction absolutely does. So I'd, I'd completely agree that the, resp- the reaction to a crisis like the last one is for people to overcompensate. And, and lenders have done that, and indeed regulators have done that. So one of the complaints from many of the challenger banks has been that they've got a higher risk weighting and therefore a higher capital requirement on their construction lending than they do on investment lending. Now, you might say that makes sense because construction lending is riskier, But the problem is that for an economy that needs new construction, and certainly outside London, there's a lot of need for new construction. You're saying that it's actually difficult to to get that to come through. So, are the regulators still making it hard for people to build stuff? Uh, I I think they are. I mean, I think different different lenders will argue it differently. Um, But you, as the industry body for lenders, you think that that it's still a problem that that, the regulation and attitudes to risk are stopping stuff being built? Yeah, I I don't think there is very joined up thinking between government departments like uh, the Ministry of Housing, uh, Communities and Local Development and the Bank of England. In in case it's changed its name by the time (laughs) this podcast is finished being produced, we apologise, but currently it's called the... MHCLG. Yeah, currently called that. And we've got the the housing minister's currently Kit Morehouse, but again, that could change in a matter of days or hours as well. Indeed. So so I don't think there's very good joined-up thinking between government departments like MHCLG on the one hand and financial regulators like the Bank of England and the PRA on the other. So the Bank of England is very focused on stability and safety in the banking system. The government is very focused on wanting to see new housing development and, and, and investment. And the two don't necessarily match up perfectly in terms of what they're doing. And, and Parallel Scampion, your, your platform, Propio, you're regulated by the FCA, so you have that stamp of approval. And, and also, all of the lending that, that you do for your platform, where investors can put in £1,000 or more into your platform, and then that, that gets pulled together and, and you can take equity or you can take debt positions in developments and all of those those loans that you write to specific assets 
our, our asset backed, aren't we? Which means that should anything go wrong, there's an asset at the end of the chain that can be sold off and, and the, the debt's repaid. Does that that's that's different? Is it from other other similar platforms? Do do all platforms operate in that way? No. Um, so a lot of the original um, crowdfunding platforms were peer to peer, and they were like small business loans where there wasn't actually an underlying asset that was underpinning it. I think the whole point about Propio and and kind of real estate uh, crowdfunding is that there is an asset there. So with a debt, you will be lending. Um, so if you're lending to a florist and that florist goes bust, you don't actually get to you keep can, any of the flowers or the get building. Get the flowers, but they're not going to last. Whereas, you know, an asset is bricks and mortar. And, you know, as long as there's enough headroom in the debt and, you know, the loan to value will be depend that the sort of return will marry with the loan to value, you will have 30 or 40% of headroom. Even if the asset were to, to fall in value substantially, you would still have something which you could liquidate and get your money back. So the typical LTVs these days are around the 60% mark, aren't they? I mean, broadly, what are you guys looking at? We, it really varies. It depends on the proposition that comes to us. So we've lent at 40% loan to value because that's what the developers required up to about 65%. And the return you get will be um, assessed against you know, the lending and therefore um, it will match it. So you would have a range of maybe 6 to 9 or 10% return. And, and Peter Cosmatatos, we're seeing a greater diversity of lenders in the market now, aren't we, in terms of the traditional banks, institutions, the, the, the startups and disruptors. And often these guys will come together in single deals, won't they, to take on different slices of the stack. Is that, is that something you're seeing more of now? Uh, we've certainly been seeing plenty of that. Um, so you have, uh, I think one of the things we've seen with the diversification of the lending market is uh, different strategies. So you've got the big UK banks that'll lend up to 60, low 60s percent LTV. You've got the big uh, continental banks that will often be at slightly lower leverage levels against bigger ticket, shiny prime assets. You'll have uh, American investment banks, for example, that'll be happy to do um, slightly more interesting assets that have more of a story, that are a bit more challenging, often to distribute the, the risk that they originate. Um, and you've had a wealth of debt funds, some of which are interested in the senior, and they might be taking syndication pieces from, from other lenders, others of which are specialising in the riskier part, which is typically referred to as MES or, or junior debt. Um, and, and when you've got a fund that's writing mezzanine debt, you typically need to have some sort of arrangement. And there are a, a wealth of different structures and approaches that people use, but some sort of arrangement to regulate the relationship between the senior debt and the mezzanine debt. You wouldn't typically get much more than those two tranches. Um, you might have sort of pref equity or some additional slice. What's very common as well as whole loans, where you have a single loan written that goes all the way up to a sort of 70, 75, 80% LTV that might be shared in one way or another um, with a senior lender and a, and a mezzanine, mezzanine lender taking different parts of that risk. But from the borrower's point of view, it's a more straightforward uh, loan and, and relationship. So th there's a lot of diversity out there. And I think one of the things that the banks pulling back has done, it's allowed not only more debt offers for borrowers in the market from a range of different kinds of lenders, it's also allowed a, a range of different routes in pursuing different strategies for capital that might be interested in commercial real estate. And, and that's and an interesting point, isn't it, Parallel Scan? Because, because that's basically what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring more capital in that can then fund loans and, and can fund 
development to occur and, and what what are, what are some of the challenges there? Because obviously it's, it's 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 kind of easy to say, yeah, we want to get loads of capital into the market, but people see debt as bad. They see property as negative, uh, you know, slightly negative reputationally. Um, there are you know, obviously the overhang from the GFC that we haven't quite got around. So, so what what can companies like yourselves do? to change that? How can you make things more transparent? How can you you'd be a bit more upfront in, in explaining risk to to achieve an outcome, which is that actually, yeah, we, we see value in investing in, in property. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. There is some uh, concern about entering the debt market, particularly for your more retail investors, and it's an education piece. And what Proprio tries to do is we have a detailed credit uh, ranking approach for any project we publish that information we talk about the risks and the rewards we try and show how different uh, opportunities are priced differently between themselves so it's about building that information but also you can see the underlying um, assets so you can see the site you're developing whether it's you know a block of flats in Bermondsey or if it's you know a, a loan to an asset in Derby and you can kind of get a little bit of comfort about it's something that you can see and you are aware of and, and then you can make a decision about investing. And, and finally, Peter Cosmatatos, what are some of the other technological disruptions that, that you see on the horizon? What other things, we talked a bit about crowdfunding, what other aspects of, of the tech revolution do you see hitting the, uh, the financial shores of, of the real estate market over the next few years? So for me, there are probably three main areas. Um, one is uh, improving the efficiency of execution, right? So that's more about legal documentation, valuations, how information gets shared, how different parties to a transaction interact so that deals can get done more straightforwardly, more, more accurately, with fewer mistakes, more quickly, more cheaply. That's undoubtedly beginning to happen you know you're getting law firms investing in technology that's allowing them to do that it's not the most exciting or glitzy part of the part of the tech disruption but i think it's, it's, it's significant um secondly i think there is a real role for technology in helping to connect uh the people who are looking for debt with the uh people who can provide it um because in, the world, in a world where you no longer can just go to the two or three banks on your high street and you know that that's where you're going to borrow, where there's, you know, 100 or 200 or more different lenders that you might go to, and it's quite a hard world to navigate, um, you know, you, you can rely to some extent on brokers and, and, and advisors, but I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for online platforms that can aggregate and that can pass and that can help people figure out what offers are well matched to your requirement um, and equally i suppose potentially for capital providers people who've just got capital that they want to, to deploy in a fund or in some sort of vehicle that can take real estate debt risk how do you choose how do you allocate how do you judge how do you compare and and we have such a such an opaque market it is such a difficult market to navigate there's so little objective data that that just lets you look see what's happening um that that i think there's an enormous scope for that kind of thing uh, to help connect people and then the third thing is is just more basically data and just addressing the opacity of the market i think some sort of greater transparency and insight into what's happening 
in the market as a whole, just, just generally, not to connect people, but just to help people understand what the market looks like, where there are hot spots, cold spots, and so on, could be really valuable both for market participants of all kinds and indeed for policymakers and regulators. Who Some want kind to, of money to guide the solution that, that allows you to... to win the league. Fantastic. So, well, look, thank you so much, Peter Cosmatartos from Crefsi Europe and Paral Scampion from Propio.